live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 16. This is your host, Blake. The U.S. men's national team are now halfway through their June camp schedule following their nil-nil draw versus Uruguay. And who better to join me in breaking down all the biggest takeaways from that match in camp so far than U.S. men's national team correspondent for TUDNA and co-host to the U.S. football podcast, Michele Giannone. Michele, welcome to MLS Gone Wild. How are you, Blake? Thank you for having me. I'm like I've told you before on Twitter, I'm a big fan of your work. You're probably my favorite Major League Soccer account. I learned, I think everybody that follows you learns a lot from the league and all the work that you do. And it's an honor and it's a pleasure uh, for you to have me here. So I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you. And mm-hmm. listeners, you can't see my face right now, but I'm blushing. All of those fine compliments coming from the one and only Michele Giannone. That's awesome. Thank you for the kind words. And I appreciate you following my work, man. No, it's it's pretty awesome. I think, again, I think you do a fantastic work. And I've told you privately and, and even publicly on Twitter, I think we need more people uh, like you that do care about the league and do put in the work. And and yeah, it's 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 pretty cool to be with you here today. So keep keep up the great work because I'm I'm a big fan. Thank you. And you supporting me and seeing what you're doing, that only pushes me to continue as well because I see your greatness. I see where your career is taking you. You're actually in Austin right now. How's that going for you? It's very hot. <laughs> it's absurdly hot. It's right now, let me pull up my phone here. It's um, 6 p.m. right now, local here uh, on this beautiful Tuesday. And it's, um, ooh, I, lost, I lost the weather up here. It's right now, it's 99 degrees, feels like 105. Mm. And that's going through the whole week. Actually, the game, it's being played on Friday at 9 p.m. to avoid that that heat. But still, the forecast says that that day by 9, 9 p.m. is going to be 90 degrees. So at least uh, the sun is not going to be beating on us um, and that beautiful uh, Austin Stadium, the Q2. But I'm, I'm super happy, man. I'm, I'm here. I'm tired. But like I said, I'm living the dream. I don't get a break when Major League Soccer is on a break because I've been covering the USMNT since January camp of 2018. I've never missed a camp except the one that did in November of 2020 in Europe obviously because of COVID and all the restrictions. But um, besides that, I, I've been on every camp, especially under the, the whole Berhalter era. So hopefully it's going to keep going like that until at least until Qatar. Qatar is going to be like the cherry on top, you know. And I've been fortunate to be on, on the field for incredible games like Gold Cup final last year, the Nations League final last year that yesterday, it was the one year anniversary. So it's I've, this team has had give gave me the one of the most amazing professional moments and even personal because I mean you 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 as a journalist and covering the team you gotta separate you know um, the the fandom and the personal side to a professional side but when you're there and you're leaving games like for example the final the both finals against Mexico it's difficult to not you know emotionally to get involved emotionally. So it's um, hopefully everything wraps up having a great World Cup 
in Qatar. And let's see where 23, 2023 goes. We're into then in Univision. We're waiting for the negotiations. We don't know if we're renewing the league, Major League Soccer and, and U.S. Soccer. Everything points that there's going to be a yes on both. But, you know, it's not official until it's official. So just savoring the moments, both with Major League Soccer and, and, and the USMNT, at least for the rest of the year. You're living the dream. So you're in Austin. You're with the team. Yeah. You're going to training. What was training like today? What's the vibe like around camp right now? The vibe's been great. Um, actually, since last week when I had the opportunity to be with God, David Gass on, on MLS Today, this is one of the best vibes that I'm seeing, maybe the best vibe that I've seen since I began covering this team and especially during all the camps with Greg. Because I, I'm telling you, man, uh, World Cup qualifiers was grueling. Like that thing was a beast. 14 games, um, three games per window, or most of the windows. I think there was just one window with two games, if I'm not mistaken, the January window. I don't, I don't remember. I don't even remember what I, which city I was <laughs> before Austin. Um, and man, by 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 the end, the last window when you haven't qualified yet, and you still had to go to Costa Rica, you still had to go to Mexico. You could you could sense the pressure uh, of of you know you you were obligated to qualify, especially that that burden that this generation is carrying of not making um, for the U.S. not making it to Russia. And now that that it's over, this is the first camp after qualifying for the World Cup. So the vibe's been great since the beginning. For example, I remember the first day in Cincinnati, they did like a round tables and press conferences with, with basically all the players. And Tyler Adams was talking about having Weston back, his best friend on the team. So the mood is great. Having had you right back, uh, Christian Pulisic said that he was his best friend playing with the under 17s. So he said that that was the duo back then. And I'm, and I'm quoting Christian. And we saw it on the game against um, against Morocco that Christian gives Haji the ball. So that tells you that that gives you a little bit of a glimpse of what is going on inside the team. Like, for example, today also Reggie Cannon was talking on the press conference and he was saying that he's been receiving texts almost every day from Sergio Dest. That even there, it's it's a competition, but there's still it, there it's a very tight and unite united a, a, a group. So he's been like, and and he was talking about how even now that they're fighting for a World Cup, but the friendships are there. And again, Sergio Des it's texting Canon every day, and and giving him like uh, pointers, giving him encouragement. And telling him, hey man, you you did this, you did this, positive, negative. And Canon Wasseling, that is the same thing when Yedlin plays or when Scali plays, you know? So that tells you a little bit of a, a, a it gives you a little bit of what this group is inside. And again, the vibes have been great for me, the best that I've seen. Um, especially again, that coming here, qualify for the for the World Cup, it's it's been it's been it's been a blessing for everyone. And I feel like pressure is kind of off right now. We've qualified. Yeah. The demons of our past are gone. We're going to Qatar in 2022. We're having fun. Like you just touched on with Cannon and Dest. It feels like a family atmosphere. You know, these guys have been playing together for a really, really long time. A lot of people refer to this as the golden generation or what have you, but call it what you want. Like these guys are friends. They are family. And Greg Berhalter and the coaching staff have really fostered that and enabled that 
that kind of environment to grow and blossom. And it's really fun to see, but we'll, we'll, we'll get into some more of that in a little bit, but I have one fan question from Morgan Tanksa. <laughs> I think that you follow her and she follows you back. Obviously she wants she's, to know. She's amazing. Yeah. Oh, phenomenal photographer and just a yeah. great person in general. So Morgan, shout out to you if you're listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> But you saw the question, what food are you most excited to get your hands on? You probably already got your hands on it. And do you have a go-to spot now? Um, actually, the easiest answer is always barbecue, right? The brisket here in, when you're in Texas or when you're in Austin, especially the brisket's really good. So there's a lot of um, barbecue places that I like. Salt Lake, it's fantastic. But there's a place that is not necessarily a barbecue. And it's actually the place where the American outlaws um, do like their pregame party the day before the day before the game and it's called haymaker and it's a mix of um of like barbecue but it also has like a little bit of, of, of a white menu like for example they have like a burger panini which is literally like a burger with some other stuff like pressing to a panini which is absolutely insane um and it's and it's and it's a small business it's a guy that really cares about about soccer it's it's been opening the door for the Austin FC fans, for the American Outlaws, for the U.S. for the U.S. soccer parties. And if you're in Austin, go to Haymaker. It's it's also a beautiful area, beautiful like a lot of a lot of like restaurants, bars, coffee shops. Uh, a little bit outside of downtown, it's like five seven minutes outside of downtown. So that that that's my go-to spot to go every time I go I go to Austin at least once. So so we're gonna go actually on Thursday. We haven't gone there. Uh, we're gonna go on Thursday for the American Outlaws party the day before the game. So I'm pretty, I'm, I'm very excited to, to get to it and and try try the 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 menu over there. Hopefully their air conditioning's working because I'm sure it's gonna be hot then too. <laughs> yeah, man, it's 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 brutal outside. I cannot I cannot believe how hot it is. Yeah, but before we move on from Austin, like all all signs point to Austin just being a phenomenal overall soccer city. Whether it's hosting yeah. U.S. Men's National Team games or on a weekly basis when you see the Verde and Black of Austin FC and a sold-out Q2 stadium. Like, it's really awesome to see they have a really fun on-field product. So if you haven't checked out Austin FC or if you're in the area and haven't checked out Q2, check that out. Or if you're just trying to catch a game on TV, watch them. You can hear the, the supporter section just bumping every single game, some of the most loyal fans in the game. But back... Yeah, we, we got to remember... Sorry, we got to remember that this is the, the only professional sports team that the city has. We got to remember that this city is all about the University of Texas, the Longhorns, football, football, baseball, basketball, etc. But Austin is it's it's grabbing that that thirst for professional sports, and the stadium it's it's incredible. It's a top five MLS stadium without a doubt. And like you said, the atmosphere is amazing. And before Austin FC, it was a very soccer city driven, and and I think MLS nailed it um, to put a team here. So it's fantastic. Like you said, if, if you haven't, if you're in Austin and you have the opportunity to go to an Austin FC game, don't doubt it for a second. So back to the USMNT. After automatically qualifying for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar, thanks to a third place finish in CONCACAF, the US men's national team are just five months away from their opening group stage match versus Wales. Head coach Greg Berhalter selected a 26-man roster for this four-match window in which, and I quote, they aim to maximize these opportunities and continue to progress as a team. And they have done just that through two matches. The U.S. Men's National Team handed World Cup foe Morocco their first loss and first shutout since their qualifying process began with a 3-0 victory. And the USMNT also earned a draw against a Uruguayan side who have advanced past the World Cup group stage 
in each of their last three appearances. Looking at the big picture, Michele, not personnel or tactics, because we'll get into those in a minute. How are you feeling after earning these results against World Cup quality competition? I think we got to separate performance from what we saw in Cincinnati against Morocco, especially because we saw something new at midfield. And I've been a very proponent that this team needs to make a, a kind of a shakeup or, a, or at least have a plan B, plan C, plan D that I know Greg Berhalter has, but we've, we haven't seen it yet until Cincinnati. I wasn't very positive about what we saw in Kansas City. I think this team did, did very positive things. And especially I love the, the game that Yunus Musa played. And I, I think for the good and for the bad, uh, uh, we were obviously excited and the players were very excited. Before, even before the Morocco game, the players were talking about the examine of playing Uruguay. Playing uh, uh, with, talk about how this team needs to get the hell away from CONCACAF for, for a while. And it's not their fault. It's Nations League, qualifier, everything just with COVID, everything just, it was a conglomeration of CONCACAF games back to back to back. And finally, we could see this team playing a juggernaut. I think Uruguay, my, personally, I think this World Cup is going to be uh, won by a South American team. And I think it's Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay for me. So we're talking about a, a team that, in my opinion, can, won, can win the World Cup. I was a little bit bummed that they did such a heavy rotation that the team that we saw against Mexico, because I was really wanted to see in the first half what the Uruguay A team could do or what the USMNT could do against the best Uruguay team. But still, with the changes, with the heavy rotation, Uruguay is still an amazing team. We saw it. And overall, the feeling is positive. Again, the good things are going to help and the bad things are going to help because this, these games are for that, no? to fix the mistakes going to the World Cup. It's a little bit disappointing that the next two games are going to be Nations League and the next game is going to be after that high against Uruguay, a very, very low against Granada, a team that shouldn't challenge the USMNT for nothing. I don't even expect Granada to take a shot on goal, but we'll see. It's the, I think it's the one, it's the 170 ranked team in the world or something. So um, I'm excited to what's coming in September. And I'm excited about how Greg Berhalter can take what we saw in Cincinnati and what we saw in Kansas City. And from that, make something happen in September, hopefully with the return of Gio Reyna and Chris Richards. By the way, we saw today Gio Reyna was training. He's been training here in Austin, remember? Uh, we got to remember his, his dad, Claudio, is the Austin general manager. So he's been training here. He had his Borussia Dortmund attire, uh, but he was training. And, and he's been, uh, yesterday they, they said that they went, like a group of players went golfing and Gio went there. So that, that, that's another thing that, that can tell you a lot about this team and the group. Uh, eight players went golfing and Gio joined them. So it's, it's a family inside the team. And the overall, I think it has to be positive. You made a, you, you had a very convincing win against Morocco. I think the result was, was a little bit too long in favor of the USMNT. I think Morocco at least deserved a goal and they had the chance with the, with the penalty kick, but you know, they, they were a disaster shooting on goal, including the, the PK. 
And I think Uruguay was much better than the USMNT. The team had good opportunities, especially with, with Jesus, and we're going to talk about the number nine a little bit ahead. But I think Uruguay was good, was better than the USMNT. And we're talking about the, the Uruguay B, if you want, if you want to talk, if you want to say it in that way, right? The bench of Uruguay gave you major problems. And that's a good thing because that's what you wanted, that a major team challenged you to see where you are. Because, and, and the players have been very clear. Tyler Adams was set, told, told us this on the presser, the press conference be, before Morocco. We, we don't know where we are outside of CONCACAF. And now we have an idea. So I think even though I wasn't very excited and I think Uruguay was better than the USMNT, I think the, the, the everything overall is very, very positive. And I think it says something when you get outplayed by a team. Granted, it was Uruguay's B team, but we were outplayed nonetheless. And I think it says something that even when you're outplayed, you can still get a result. And that's right. going to be really, really important in Qatar playing against these teams. Well, England and, and Iran are probably going to play <laughs> in the bunker, so they're not necessarily going to play us outplay us with the ball. But, you know, if we do advance to those knockout phases of World Cup play, it's going to be important to have the possibility of being outplayed also just withstanding the storm and then possibly stealing a point that can get you through to the knockout stages. So I think that's important, but overall my kind of takeaways from these two international friendlies was I loved 99% of the stuff I saw you you've touched on. This team has fun. Uh, They, they like to have fun off the field together. They have fun on the pitch. They have fun on the training ground and I have fun watching them have fun to be honest with you. So I'm really optimistic about where this team's at compared to just a couple of years ago when we missed the world cup. So that feels really good. And then you kind of touched on it. I also like that we're getting competition from teams outside of CONCACAF. We're seeing different looks. We're seeing teams that are actually coming out and playing against us. Morocco, I think, doubled our shot count, 22 to 11. Granted, they weren't very good in front of goal. They weren't clinical, but it was an end-to-end game. I saw somebody say it reminded them of a basketball game. One person went down, got a shot, got a rebound, went back down the other way. And that's kind of how it was. And Uruguay was the same thing. They came out and they pressed us pretty hard. We got out of some sticky situations, playing the ball out of the back. And both of those games provided us with some learning opportunities. It allowed Greg Berhalter to get a little bit flexible. We saw, you know, the back three, the different formations in possession. We saw the double pivot, which we'll probably get into with Eunice Musa and Tyler Adams with either Weston or Brendan above them. So it it was good to see us play against different competition and it's really good competition as well. Both of these two teams made the previous world cup, the 2018 world cup. Like I said earlier, Uruguay have advanced past the knockout state or past the group stage and three of their past appearances in the world cup. And they actually came in fifth in 2018 and lost to the defending world cup champs, France. So like that, that says something that we're able to compete. Granted it's against the B team. But like I said, I think it's important to get outplayed and still steal points. But that's kind of my overall yeah. feel. I'm really optimistic. And yeah, like and you said, it is it is a low going to play Grenada. You know, it's uh, yeah. Who are, it's, like, who are we gonna play? Are we gonna roll out like our, our yeah yeah well? yeah we're, yeah? We're, we're gonna talk about that. But I think I think I have a sense of who's gonna play. And 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 already Verhalter uh, mentioned it before when when he released the the, the call up. He said Granada is gonna be the game where where players that haven't that don't see a lot of minutes on the first two games are going to play. And that's, and that's what you got to do. Again, Granada is not, I'm, I'm going to be shocked if they get a shot on goal. But one thing that I don't think this team and Greg Berhalter, and you just 
mention it gets a lot of credit is that they get the results even when they don't play well or they get out outplayed by the rivals. I understand all the excitement, especially the two finals against Mexico last year, where you won the finals, but I don't think necessarily on both games, the U.S. was better than Mexico overall. Um, I think the U.S. was vastly better than Mexico in Cincinnati in the World Cup qualifiers. But again, on Sunday, we saw a USMNT that got outplayed by Uruguay, in my opinion. And still, the USMNT had, at least Jesus Ferreira had two or three very clear scoring chances. And the USMNT could have won the game easily, easily, without being the best team on the field. And that, and that says a lot about the spirit, about the, 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 the work that Greg has put on this team, because that's part of being united, being a group, understanding the moment, and, and understanding, again, that now World Cup qualifiers, especially against Morocco and Uruguay, World Cup qualifiers is done. The, the, the result doesn't matter. If you get a win, that's great, but it's, it's, it's makeup, you know? I mean, when we get to Qatar, we're not going to remember that we beat Morocco 3-0. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. What we needed to see is trying different things and see how this team reacted trying different things. And again, and I was a little bit disappointed, maybe not because the way the team played against Uruguay. It's that I was excited after what we saw in Cincinnati with the midfield chef, with Brandon in that position, playing that way, that we went back to the same 4-3-3 MMA midfield against Uruguay. And, and we, we, we're going to talk about that also. So, But overall, it's a positive. Again, the, the, I'm excited that the, the mistakes and the errors and, 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 and being outplayed by Uruguay is going to be even more positive at the end because we're going to learn. And this team needed to play against that caliber of a team. And they, and they I mean, they, they got the result. Again, it doesn't matter the result, but it, it helped to not lose, right? Right. And you say they got outplayed, and I pretty much agree with you there. But just looking at some underlying stats, I'm a big XG guy. I'm kind of a nerd in that regard. Yeah. But in the first 60 minutes of that match, the USMNT won the XG battle 1.21 to 0.72. Uh, so it looked like we were getting the better chances. But yes, I do believe that Uruguay was really good, and they were on top of us a lot, especially early in that first half. All right, Michele. So what's the best thing you've seen during these two international friendlies? And actually, before you start, I'll go and I'll set the mood. My favorite thing that I've seen during these two friendlies is Captain America, Christian Pulisic, mm -hmm. handing teammate and best friend, Haji Wright the ball to take the PK versus Morocco and score his first USMNT goal in his debut just 19 minutes after coming on as a second half sub. Christian knows just as well as you and I that the starting number nine position is still an open competition. And what better way to get a guy going than to let him see one go in the back of the net on his debut. Good on Christian for giving Wright the opportunity and good on Haji for making it count. Michele, what was your favorite thing that you saw during these two matches? Yeah, I think overall off the field is what, what we're talking about. Just the, the vibes of the camp, you know, the, the togetherness, uh, the Christian with Haji, Tyler with Weston. I don't know if you saw some, some videos about the uh, round tables that I was talking about uh, that, when the, on the press conference that Weston sat in like between the, the media and started asking questions to, to, to Tyler. Then I think he went when Sean Johnson was talking on the other side. And I, I think, I think it's, it shows, it shows again, 
how this team is it's loose, it's having fun. They understand what's happening, that they're fighting for a World Cup spot, for a World Cup spot. But now it's, again, it's the first camp after that grueling World Cup qualifier. So now on this on these games, it's just having fun, um, try, trying to be a little bit loose. And we've seen it on the field. On the field, I was, um, for months, I've been a proponent of making a midfield change. Uh, I personally, I'm a, I'm a proponent of flipping the triangle. And we saw it a little bit against Cincinnati of the double pivot. Um, and having a number 10, like Brendan Aronson, possibly in the future, like, like Gio Reyna. Um, and we saw it uh, on Cincinnati. And I think it worked one, very well. Um, it helped that Morocco pressed a lot. And Brendan uh, mentioned something very interesting um, after now. Now I'm going to have the opportunity to shift about this, the midfield uh, subject. Brendan, after the Uruguay game in, at mix zone said that for them especially in the first half uh, with the MMA midfield the Uruguay didn't press as much as Morocco so for them it was and they populated a lot uh, on the midfield and it, the spaces they didn't have a lot of spaces so it was a little bit difficult for the US to break lines and to, to find pockets of spaces uh, and through the midfield um, and I think that was very interesting and I think again uh, the Uruguay game showed me that at least against this type of, of competition, and I think you, you, you also mentioned this, that in the World Cup, uh, they're going to face, uh, in the group state, teams that are, are going to have a low block. Like, they're, they're not going to press as much. Iran is not going to press. We saw the way that, that Wales plays against Ukraine recently for, to get into a World Cup. It's a team that likes to play in transition. They're not going to press. So the USMNT, at least on those two games, is going to be the one with the ball on their feet. And I think um, on those instances, I am very, again, very proponent to flip the triangle, having that double pivot with Musa and, and Tyler and give more freedom. If it's Western, it's Western. I mean, we can have that conversation. I don't think that's a conversation that fans like, or if it's Gio or it's Brendan. I think against teams like Uruguay, like what we're going to face in the World Cup again, this midfield needs a six, an eight, and a 10. And, and, and Musa needs to, 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 to drop, uh, to play alongside Tyler, because we've seen and we saw it against Uruguay, that the, the, the play that Musa starts that ends up with, with Jesus missing the header, the way Musa can, I think Musa is, and this, and this is a debate that I was having with, with Nico on US Football Podcast uh, today and, again, and with some fans, I don't think there should be a debate. And, and, and I'm not lacking respect of Weston. We know what Weston brings. Weston is a fantastic player. He's a, for, I mean, for crying out loud, he's a, he's a starter for Juventus when he's healthy. He's probably the best threat, air threat, that the team has on set pieces. And, and he crashes the box. He's, he's the typical box-to-box midfielder. But Juros Musta, it's a lot better progressing the ball with passing with moving between lines, with the ball on his feet, than Weston. And sometimes this team needs that. And we saw it against Uruguay. The best chances came from Musa doing that, progressing the ball almost between, from, from, almost from our box, from the USMNT box. So again, MMA perfectly in CONCACAF, perfectly against team that, that press a lot, like, like Morocco, that you have those spaces to maneuver on the, on the midfield. But when it's Uruguay, when it's Iran, England, Wales, and the World Cup, this team needs a playmaker. 
in my opinion. So I don't know what the solution is there. I'm not saying bench Weston, but I really want to see this team play with the double pivot, with Yunus next to Tyler, and with a playmaker in front of them. And me being a Columbus Crew fan, that's something Greg Berhalter did with Frederico Iguain with Pipa when he was in Columbus. He played with a double pivot in the midfield, and then Pipa was the, lo and behold, number 10, the center attacking midfielder. And oftentimes when I watch the USMNT play, we do lack like a central option that's higher up the field, operating those half spaces behind the midfield and the, the defensive back four or whatever they have back there. And I was calling for it before the Uruguay match, actually, if Lucas Torreira, ex-Arsenal player, were to play, like he's a dominant six, very physical, very aggressive. He's a hunter in the midfield. And if he was playing, I was definitely in the camp of, I want a 10 playing up there with him to drag him out of those spaces to create right. space for, for Wea and for Polisic. So I think that will be important to, to invert that triangle, play with that six, that eight, and that 10. Who that 10 is, I don't know. Is it Brendan Aronson? We saw him play there at Philly, but since he's gone overseas, we've seen him kind of play more out on the left and he's kind of inverted out there. But one thing that I heard that was interesting on the broadcast was, I don't know who asked the question, but somebody asked Brendan, you know, where do you see yourself? You know, you're still a young guy. Where do you see yourself? What's your best position? And he said a box to box midfielder. So let me ask you, like, where do you think Brendan Aronson's best position is? And at whatever position that is, is he a starter for you or is he a guy that can light a fire off the bench? It's a tricky question because we don't know. And it's difficult. And it sounds like a cliche, but we don't know who's going to be healthy, right? Right now, Gio is not healthy. So if we don't have Gio, I think Brandon Aronson needs a lock-in starter, in my opinion. Playing that playmaker position ahead of the double pivot that, that I'm asking for. Being Weston with, with Tyler, I think the best combination will be Musa, Adams, and Aronson for the World Cup and for certain teams. Again, I'm not calling for Weston to be benched. I'm just, I'm just saying what, what I prefer. And I could be wrong, but that's, that's, my, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I believe. Um, if everybody's healthy, let's say everybody is healthy, I think Brendan is first choice out of the bench because he runs like nobody else runs on this team. He presses like nobody else presses on this team. And he can come in on the 60th minute, 70th minute when the other, when the other team is it's tired. And then you put him to run, to press, to, to be the playmaker. I think he's, he, he, could be a, a, he could be a fantastic, fantastic. Um, in, a Span in Spanish, they call it revulsivo. Like, I, I don't know how to translate it in Spanish, but it's a guy that comes into a game and just creates havoc. You know, so um, I think there's also another solution that it comes that it's tied to a number nine position playing with a false nine. Using Christian or even using Gio as a false nine. And that's something that, that actually Greg mentioned to me in an interview we did in actually in 2020. The first interview that Greg did um, after the COVID lockdown in April, uh, he gave it to me. And I mentioned, hey, Gio, at that point, Gio Reyna is coming up. Tyler is coming up. We're talking about, oh, my God, it's over two years ago. It's crazy how time flies. And he mentioned, I, I could see Christian or Gio as a false nine. So if that's an option, you could see Brendan squeezing in as a, as, as a, as a left winger, too. Because I, I don't see a scenario where Team Wea is not the starting 
right winger. So that's that's a lock-in starter right now. So, so if, then just hypothetically, if you do that, if you do slide Gio Reyna, hopefully if he's healthy at that false nine, team away outright, Brendan Aronson out left, where are you put in Pulisic? Centrally? Yeah, yeah. So um, I will give you my, what I will do. What I, if, if everybody's healthy, what I will do is it will be the double pivot with Yunus, Tyler. I'm going to get killed by this, but I, I will put Weston on the bench. Um, I, will, I, will, I, will use, I will use Brendan as a free flow number 10 ahead of the double pivot. I will actually try Gio as a false nine and Christian and, 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 and Wea on the wings. That's my, that's my dream scenario. That's what I will do. The other option is also maintaining the double pivot, depending on your rival, and having Weston to be that, that giving Weston more freedom. Uh, releasing him, release him of, of the defensive um, shift, shiftments and the f- defensive responsibilities, and then bring in Brendan as, as that guy on the 70th minute, 60th, 65th minutes or whatever, to create havoc um, against the bench. Because, again, uh, making that tie... Um, or to tie that the conversation to a number nine, if the number nine is not scoring and we need to find an answer and we have to put our best players on the field, having that false nine, and this is not something that I'm making up. This is something that Greg Berhalter has said. So we can, we, maybe we can try that, that, that solution. Because the way Uruguay played us is the way that Iran, Wales, especially England, is going to play. So... I think we need, and I'm pretty sure that, again, Berhalter has option A, B, C, D, and the whole alphabet, you know, knowing him. And nobody, you, will you, give you him on. nobody will give him credit for that, though. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I can tell you, man, it's crazy the amount of time that guy works. He's on meetings all day. They're watching video all day. Uh, you had him at Columbus, so you know what I'm talking about. He's a freak. The amount of time he's always working, and and I think people need to give kudos because it's not easy, man. It's not easy. Um, he, I understand he can be polarizing. I understand the call-ups we don't agree, and the fans don't agree, and the way the teams play don't agree. But he took over a hot mess to to call it. I was there. I was there. I started covering the team on January 2018 after the and Tobago happened after Bruce left. And I was there for the whole first year of, Har- of Saracan. And that year was depressing. <laughs> and then after Greg came, it's like, okay, now what? If, if we go back, the progress that, that this team has made, if we go back, and I, and I will encourage people to go and find the first lineups that Berhalter put in. We've had Nick Lima, we had Lovitz, we have uh, we'll a lot of players. Uh, we'll t- Trap, still Michael Bradley, Josie, um, a lot of players that are not even sniffing a call up right now. And that happened, man, this is, this is, that happened a little bit over three years ago. So, and again, and, and we can, and it's something that I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about Scali. We, <laughs> we obviously tend to overblow the youngsters. And we got to remember, 2022 Qatar is not the end of all for the youngsters. You, 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 you know, guys, that after 2022 Qatar, we're going to keep playing, right? There's another World Cup at home on 2026. So all these youngsters, please be patient. Like we saw, 
when when I was told and I reported this, when Scully was in camp, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was on the September camp. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure. He he didn't play. And I was told that he didn't impress, that he wasn't ready for this type of competition. And we saw it against Uruguay. So um, it's not, sometimes it's hard, but I, 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 gotta, I gotta, and I gotta give kudos to, to, my, to my coworker and friend, Marcelo Balboa, who's also here in Austin. The best advice he told me is, you gotta start thinking about as a journalist. You gotta start thinking as a coach. So people that were yelling that, why is not Haji Wright starting against Uruguay? Right, that's what everybody thought after Jesus started in Cincinnati. So look at us as a coach. The center backs of Uruguay are monsters, are beasts. So what are you gonna try to do? Avoid an air battle. Cause not even Haji Wright is gonna win against Godin, against Jimenez, against Cáceres. So you gotta be, you, you gotta play through through the field with with the ball with the ball. You, you don't wanna you don't wanna have an air battle against Uruguay. So that's a position that oh, so you 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 gotta start thinking as a coach instead of as a fan and as a and as a journalist. So I think with in the case of Scali and the youngster, we gotta start thinking as a coach. What happened if we put Scali in Orlando in a must-win game against Panama? That at the end, the end, the game ended for one. Shaq Moore played, but what what I and I when I, it's funny because when when Des came out with COVID, I immediately tweeted, guys, don't expect Scali. It's gonna be more. Because I'm telling you, and 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 it's funny because this is the fourth year of Berhalter in charge. Yeah, for, no, 2019, 2021, 20, yeah, fourth year. Berhalter it's is very clear. He's he always between lines, even if he doesn't say it, between lines you can you can sense his intentions and, and what he's trying to do. And he's not gonna call a player that that it's not being part of the group, not being part of the camp before, not played meaningful minutes in a World Cup deciding qualifying game. So it was very easy. And it was very easy to predict that it was going to be Shaq Moore, the one big call. But he called Shaq Moore and the fans was a meltdown. Why not Scali? Why not Scali? We saw it against Uruguay. He was, he's not ready for this type of competition. So that's, that's, a, that's an example of, I'm trying to like, Sometimes I understand that and, and, and we get called MLS bias, MLS agenda, um, et cetera, et cetera. You're a bear halter boy. No, uh, we're the middleman between, between the team, the players, and the fans. And I'm trying to explain what this team, this group, and bear halter is about. And that, that, that's something I think that the, it, what we saw with Scal is a, a, a little bit of an example of when a coach it's right, but he doesn't have to keep explaining to the fans why he makes certain decisions, you know? Right. And I don't, I don't think it's necessarily about him being right there, but he definitely was right. Like he's not ready for these really super big moments of world cup qualifying. We're putting him in granted against a, a Uruguay side that finished third in Cannonball. They're a, a usual, uh, they're a regular at the world cup, but it's kind but of the result low, doesn't matter. Exactly. It's a low pressure situation. You know, if we lose, we lose, we'll, we'll have some takeaways. Right. We'll talk about it. We'll get better. 
And so it was a low pressure. It, it was a win-win situation for Joe Scally, despite him not having the best game. I mean, it was his full national team debut. He had come on as a sub in the previous game at halftime, but this was his first start. And again, it was against Uruguay. And generally, at, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, at Borussia Mönchengladbach, he kind of plays a, a right back or wing back type role. So he flipped yeah. sides here. So it's a completely different side of the field. And a lot of it comes down to communication too. Like you can communicate and play with these guys in training, but until you're out there communicating with another new guy, Aaron Long back there with you, like it takes reps, it takes experience and it takes building that relationship with the guys around you to feel comfortable. So it's very unfair to bash Joe Scally right now. I'd be lying to you if I said I was impressed because I wasn't very impressed, but rightfully so the kid's 19 years old. He's got a very high ceiling. I think we're going to see him for the USMNT for years and years to come, but that opens up the conversation that I want to have about the left back spot. You tweeted in kind of your post game notes, you were leaving the stadium uh, (laughs) and you said that you would want to clone Jedi. And I absolutely want to clone Jedi too, because for me, when I look at the full 11, the guys that I think will be our starters, I think like the most tactically important guy arguably could be Jedi because when Jedi's out there, he's running up and down that left channel that allows Christian Pulisic to play in that half space inside and become inverted and allows us to switch to a a back three kind of, I don't think we're going to be playing with a back three with Serginho Dest. That's not his MO either. No chance. (laughs) No, but when Reggie Cannon's in there, we, we see how it switches to that back three and Jedi allows us to do different things. It allows us to unbalance the team on one side of the field, create those, imbalances to create those overloads so with scally not performing as well as many would have hoped it kind of opens up the conversation the only other left back that's there right now who will probably see friday is george bellow ex-academy player out of atlanta that's gone overseas to germany so i I think we'll see him but it opens up the conversation i'm in the camp of like i love dewan jones for the new england revolution i also really love john tolkien am i biased because i just had both of those guys on my show. Absolutely. I am. But I, you know, Dewan Jones in my podcast with him said that when he spoke to Greg Berhalter in their meetings before leaving camp, that Dewan Jones had exceeded expectations for Greg Berhalter. And then he gets sent home and we haven't seen him since. And he's got a goal and three assists for the new England revolution and just had John Tolkien on John Tolkien was actually in consideration. If you read the articles, his name was thrown out there and he actually got a phone call from Greg saying, hey, you're not going to be selected, but hey, keep up the good work. Like for you, when if we had to select a natural left back, say Jedi goes down or we need to give Jedi some rest and we're not going to move you and I for this conversation's sake, we're not going to move Serginho Dest over to the left, right? (laughs) Who is one of the natural left back guys that you think could be the actual backup to Jedi? That's a difficult question because the player that I know this that Berhalter and his assistant really like, his assistants really like, is Kevin Paredes. Mm-hmm. He was on December camp. He I was, also had Kevin Paredes on the podcast as well. Fantastic kid. <laughs> he was the star of December camp. He was going to start that game. He got injured like a week before he had to leave camp. He was. I, I was told by people in the camp, I was there covering the camp, he was the star of the camp. He was going to start the game. He was going to have the opportunity and he was going to be called up for the January World Cup qualifiers roster. Then the moves happened to Wolfsburg and he plays 13 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. So 
I'm very excited to see what he can do at the beginning of the season. Because um, like Greg said, there are open spots, a few open spots. But we got to remember that, especially on, there are three spots that are completely up for grabs, in my opinion. The backup left back, that I think what's going to happen is that you don't like it. Probably I don't like it either. But he's going to take Reggie Yedlin, and he's going to have Serginho as the, as the emergency left back if something happened with Jedi in the World Cup. I think that's, that's what's going to happen. But if, if Paredes can have a good three, four months for the start of the season against Wolfsburg, we're going to see him in September. Because I know Greg and his staff really, really likes him and really rates him. And he's not here because he didn't, he didn't perform and he, didn't, he couldn't break in with, the, with Wolfsburg. And for kids like him, like Ricardo Pepe, who is not here, Greg also puts that into account to give these young kids time to, in the personal and human side, to adapt to this new situation. Ricardo Pepe, he had a conversation with him and Pepe said it in an interview when he was in Dallas two weeks ago that his first months in Germany were, for in the personal side, very challenging. Food, weather, not having his family, et cetera. And that's part of, again, the progress with these young stars is not linear. We just, we're seeing it with Haji Wright. He was a superstar on the youth national teams. And now he's coming back to a senior team with 24 years old after he missed everything for three, four years. So I think that um, for the September window, if there's a new left back between the, what, the ones that we haven't seen right now, it's going to be Kevin Paredes. If, if he starts playing with Wolford. If not... I think the September window, it's, this is the last casting call, except something tragically on the positive side happens. If a number nine starts scoring like crazy, like for example, Hercules Gomez did to get his interest playing for Puebla. His, the, the month before the World Cup, he was scoring like, like a madman and he got the spot on the, on, the, on the World Cup roster. But I think Greg has picked out of the 26, I think he has the roster set, honestly, on his mind. And it, something has tr dramatically has to change for a, for a player to um, gain that number nine position or that second center back alongside Walker or that left backup left back. I think the gap right now is too wide open between what one of the youngsters can do and what Serginho can do as an emergency left back, especially having Reggie Cannon and Yedlin on the other side that Greg likes very much. So, so yeah. And thinking back to one of the last times that I personally remember Serginho Dest playing left back for the USMNT, I believe it was like that 2020 camp during COVID or maybe early 2021 where he played left wing back and they were playing in an empty stadium, forget where they were, but he cut inside and hit an absolute banger. He, you know, he cut in from the left side on his right foot and smashed it. So obviously he can do it. He has that pedigree. He has the experience. So I think at this point, like, yeah, you probably do. It's too late. You, pri yeah. you prioritize the experience over giving a young guy a chance, unfortunately and fortunately, yeah. but I absolutely understand. So I just wanted to have that conversation just no, for the sake of it. And, and again, and again, guys, after Qatar, a new cycle starts. Yeah. And an even more important World Cup at home with Pulisic, with, my God, Junos Musa is going to be 20, 
four years old for that World Cup. Absurd in 2026. Those guys are going to be on their prime or even still very young like Yunus. And we're going to have, and we're going to see Tolkien, um, all these kids having chances. There's a January camp coming after the war, after the Qatar. There's going to be more Nations League games that Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney are not going to come mm-hmm. for those games. No. So, so we're going to, we're going to see a lot of the youngsters that we are excited to see, but no, it's, it's, I think it's already too late for a lot of them. It's not to say most of them. So, so yeah, I, I think the group that we have here, this group right now, Sans, Gio, and Richards, I think the World Cup and, and Pepe probably, the group is already here. Yeah. And that's, that's good that we, that Greg Berhalter and the coaching staff have pretty much their mind made up. Granted, they can be flexible if an emergency pops up, like right. you said, but yeah. we need to have an idea of who are we going to have on the plane to Qatar. The, uh, the open line of commu- communication needs to be there, you know, talking to their clubs and just focusing on what we need to improve upon heading up to that point. That's very important. So we need to key in on those guys. One position that you said that is still kind of up in the air is center back. And in this camp, we've seen the reemergence of Aaron Long who is apparently, if you ask a lot of people on Twitter, that's, that's Greg Berhalter's boy, apparently. But he's, had, he's, played, he's played 135 minutes so far um, yeah. in, this, in this window. He's completed, completed 86% of his passes, uh, blocked one shot, cleared seven balls, won four duels. At this point, like, is Aaron Long going to be on the plane to Qatar? Or in your mind, yes. who is okay? Yes, yes. There's, there's no doubt. I don't think, again, I've been saying John Brooks is not going to come back to this team since October and I've been right and nothing's going to change. John Brooks is not going to be in Qatar guys. Um, I do think that the starting center backs for this team, even um, health wise is going to be Walker Simon with Chris Richards. The third center back is going to be Aaron Long. And then the fourth center back, it's, it's a toss up between the guys that we've seen right here, Cameron Carter Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown, I don't know who who else can can squeeze in. Maybe Mackenzie, um, but I think Richards, Walker, and Aaron Long have their tickets sealed already for Qatar. And again, I was this is something that that, that you mentioned, especially on defense. Communication, chemistry is important, especially on the center back duo. Aaron Long was the first captain on Berhalter's era. Um, he was his first captain. Um, he played most of the games under Berhalter before his injury. If I'm not mistaken, he has played alongside Walker for, if I'm not mistaken, almost, I want to say 10 or 12, 12 times, even that the past two games, I think it, it takes them to 12 games together. So that matters. And I know you guys, fans don't want to hear it, but he was getting called to train with the team when he was injured. What do you guys think was going to happen when he's fully healthy? You know? Mm-hmm. And and again, coaches are human beings. Coaches are subjective, sub, subjective. You can see a player and you cannot like something that I do like. I'm very, I really like Christian Roldan as a player. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like him or don't like him enough to be on the World Cup roster. I think he belongs on a 26-man roster to World Cup. So that's my opinion. People that don't like him has their opinion. and. The coach Berhalter is not a robot. He's a human being. He has his preferences, and he likes Aaron Long a lot. So I do believe that right now the starting center back 
right now it's Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long because Chris Richard is not here. Mm-hmm. But Aaron Long for sure is going to be at least the third center back on the roster in Qatar. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's keep it moving with the open positions. We talked about the false nine earlier and the possibility of Gio Reyna playing in that spot. But if we don't go the route of the false nine right now in camp, we have two proven goal scorers. We have Jesus Freire, leading goal scorer in the MLS Golden Boot race. And then Haji Wright scored his first USMNT goal on the back end <laughs> of a 14-goal season in Turkey. So he's got double digits over there, finished fourth, I believe, over in Turkey. And then you have an, another guy like Pifok. He won the golden boot race in Switzerland with 22 goals. Like if you have to take two or how many, first of all, how many nines are you going to take two or three? And like, who are the guys that you're going to take? Because of the surplus that we have on the wings and on the playmaker sides, I'm taking just two number nines, two natural number nines to Qatar. I think if the world cup starts tomorrow, it's not a surprise that it's Jesus Ferreira mm-hmm. that the starting number nine. And the second one is going to be a toss up. We got to see what, Rick, uh, Pepe do and how he responds and that's I crazy really, be, that's crazy because six months ago it was like yeah. Pepe train it was like yeah, yeah he, was, he was he was he was the greatest like <laughs> like what Grant Wall said the greatest goal scorer in the US that he's ever seen or something like that that he, he irritated a lot of people including me um, nothing against Raw Grant I love Grant but but he said something real stupid that day. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot of clicks um, on it, though. A lot of clicks on it. Yeah, sometimes you know that's that's <laughs> that's that's what's what they're that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gonna be a toss-up between Haji, Pepe. I don't think P. Focus on the race. I think Greg honestly doesn't rate him a lot. He called him because he had to call him. Like his form was absolutely incredible before the last. World Cup window, but he showed against Mexico that he's not the number nine that, that, that we need, especially because the things that he does off the ball, he doesn't press, he doesn't defend, and that's something that Greg needs and asks for his number nine. That's why Jesus is so effective. Yeah. Jesus is creating chances. He's getting there. He's just not scoring them like he does in, in MLS. Yeah, we just have to that, translate that club success exactly into at, at, at one sport. point. At one point, that XG is gonna it's gonna catch up. At one point, absolutely. The guy's got nine goals in what 12, 13 matches for Dallas. Yeah. He's a proven goal scorer. He's and he does, and again, and he does, and that's why Jassy Sardis is still in the picture, and that's why Jassy played as much as he played under him with Columbus and in the in the national team. This team necessarily doesn't need for the number nine to score. To get results, of course, he's his scores fantastic. But during during the World Cup qualifiers, fourteen games, we had four goals from the number nine position, just four, three from Pepe and one from Ferreira in fourteen games. That's crazy, right? So, I think right now, if I have if I have to guess, I think it's going to be Ferreira and Pepe, but Pepe needs to start scoring and play the way where Berhalter wants him to play. It's not just scoring. It's pressing, it's defending, it's holding up the ball. It's exactly what the number nine, he wants from the number nine. And I really like what I saw. And I think Haji Wright gave a good impression of what we can do in space against Morocco. His movements of the ball, his runs are very good. And I think it's a toss-up. It's going to be a toss-up at the end of the year 
between Haji and Pepe. But again, if a goal scorer, even a major league soccer, starts scoring like crazy, who knows, man? Honestly. So earlier in the podcast, we talked about how Christian Pulisic and Haji Wright are like best friends. They're boys. Is there any kind of like LeBron James effect for Christian Pulisic and him having pull on which players he wants? Like, do you no. hear from any of the players in camp? Like these are the guys that we want to see play the nine? No, 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 there's no, there's no, no player, even Christian has influence of, of not even close, not even close. It's not even close. That doesn't happen on this team. Zero. Yeah, I, f- I figured it wasn't that close because it's the, the pull LeBron has is ridiculous, but I didn't know if yeah. you heard anything from guys like Christian. Like I love playing with Haji over so-and-so. Or- yeah. But it, that, that doesn't have, that doesn't have a, a, it doesn't make an effect on Greg. Right. We would have seen Haji starting one of the two games. And Jesus did because that's what Greg's belief is the, is, is the best option. Okay. What I, what we have in Christian is the effect of awness from players. Like Aronson talk about this. Like he sees Christian and he sees mm-hmm. like one superstar. of his idols, yeah. superstar idols. So it's going to be pretty cool to see them face face each other in, in the Premier League next year. Yeah, it is. It's well, be this fun. in a month ago, I don't know, two months. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know. It's nonstop for you, so I'm sure you're yeah, losing man, track it's... of time. <laughs> oh, I keep losing track of time all the time. <laughs> Speaking of time, let's let's keep it moving so we can get you off of here. Uh, so Grenada on Friday, Nations League first game. What is your yeah. predict? What is your predicted eleven going to be? There's going to be a lot uh, of rotation, obviously. A lot of rotation, a heavy rotation. I think we're going to see Horvath on goal. Okay, I think okay. we're going to see. I think we're going to see Reggie Cannon on okay. the right side. I think we're going to see Velo on the left side. We're going to see probably. For sure, Cameron Vickers is one of the center backs. I wouldn't be surprised to, because Granada is not going to do anything, honestly, and see Vickers alongside Eric Palmer Brown to try something new, to give Walker a rest, to give Aaron Long a rest. I think Kelly is going to be the six. Luca is going to be one of the eight. Luca de la Torre. Who did you say the six was? Uh, Kelly. Kelly Acosta. Yeah. Yeah, Kelly is going to be the six. Uh, Luca de la Torre is going to be one of the eights. The other eight, uh, I want to say Christian, Christian Roldan, but I think there's a there's a big chance that we see again Brandon playing I have as that. Brand, I have Brandon, Brandon in there against Luca Della yeah. Torre, yeah, or with Luca Della Torre, sorry. And up top, um, I think we're gonna see a Paul Ariola on the right side. Mm-hmm. We're gonna see Haji Wright for sure as a starting number nine. And on the left side is it's a toss up between Jordan Morris and and Malik, Malik Tillman. I have I have Malik in there, but we we've seen Malik against Morocco. It'd be nice to see Jordan Morris in there, but yeah. you and I basically have the same exact eleven, and it's exactly yeah. what you would expect based on Greg Berhalter's press conferences, you know, prior to and leading up to this match. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I think it's a it's a it's an easy lineup to to predict just two or three spots up top. That's it. Yeah, and and honestly, like looking at this game and this lineup, like, I don't think it's a huge tryout for any of these guys. Like it should just be a game that go out, do your job and, right. and just get the job done. Get the three points. We got to remember it's, it's for the points now. That, that's and, true. And, and we're defending the title. Well, they are defending the title. Um, and, and they've been adamant about it. Like they want to defend the title. So it's, it's a, it's a game for, for Haji right to score mm-hmm. and gain confidence yeah. for maybe Jordan Morris to score and gain confidence. You know, for for show what Malik Tillman can do, mm-hmm. and 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 what Kellen can do as a second number six, but it should be it should be a should be an easy game, a cakewalk on Friday. But but you know, at the end of the game, you gotta you gotta play and you gotta win. Yeah, we want to see goals. We want to see goals. 
Yes. All right, Michaela, you got any closing thoughts? That again, I think I think um, the U.S. is in a very good position for the World Cup. I think it's everybody's healthy. This team is very well coached. It has the pieces to advance in the group stage. I really believe that. And hopefully, I don't think we're going to see it for the rest the remainder of the window, but hopefully in, in, in the last window, the, last, the, dress the dress rehearsal, what I like to call it, in September that we're going to play in Europe against two Asian teams. I can tell you that their talks are very advanced for those two teams to be Saudi Arabia and Japan. Those are probably going to be the two, and there are two big-time Asian teams to have everybody healthy and to keep trying new stuff on the midfield. I truly believe that this team, with everybody healthy, can make a good run on the World Cup. And, 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 and again, for the fans, please remember that 2022 Qatar, 22, Qatar 2022 is not the end of all. We have a much important cycle ahead of us a much important World Cup ahead of us at home in 2026. And just try to enjoy it. Don't be so, so, so. Have fun. So, have fun. Have enjoy fun. It. So enjoy, enjoy it. it. We're, we're in the World Cup again. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't fight for every stupid thing. Again, we just saw it. We spent months fighting about Joe Scully. And at the end, Greg Berhalter was right. And we got to give kudos to him. And that doesn't mean that we got to give off on Joe, just an immense talent. He needs patience, he needs repetition, and he's going to get it, 23, moving forward. Well, Michele, you made a lot of good points today, man, a lot of in-depth stuff. Thank you so much for coming on here and talking about these, these two previous international friendlies. It's been an honor talking to you, and I can't wait to continue to speak with you and have you on again and continue to pick your brain. No, for sure, man, again, I'm a big fan of your work. You're my favorite. Uh, MLS account on social media on Twitter on Instagram to follow it was an honor and a pleasure for me to be here and, and thank you so much um, for having me it was a, it was truly a, a pleasure and, and and keep up keep up the great work man I'm a, I'm a big fan and hopefully people can you keep growing and you get you get growing of what you're building because you have a bright future ahead thank you Michele I appreciate that and you keep working and grinding too man it's a it's a pleasure getting to listen and watch you continue to grow and continue to do your thing. So just, just keep it up. And, you know, like I said earlier, you give me something to strive for. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, my man. Of course. Listeners. Thanks for tuning into MLS on wild season four, episode 16 featuring Michele Giannone, the U S men's national team take the field again this Friday in our opening nations league match versus Grenada. Be sure to tune into that one to support the boys in the red, white, and blue. The World Cup is just five months away, folks. I'm ready, and I hope you are too. Until next time, from Akele and I, take care of yourselves and one another. Peace.